So think together about another Old Testament Bible character. And this is one perhaps uh, you don't hear too much about directly. Our attention is not at least focused upon him, though he's a prominent character. Prominent because of his part in the life of King David. And we're thinking about Joab. Joab had good qualities and he had some bad qualities. If someone were to write a book about his good qualities and the same author or someone else write about his bad qualities and you read both books, you'd think it was talking about two different men. But it's the same man. Sort of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of a character. And I'd like to look at some of the things about this man. He was a tough, brave, and skillful soldier. Army commander. Intensely loyal to his master, that would be King David. Cruel, ruthless toward his enemies, and jealous of rivals to the point of murder. He was one of three sons of David's older sister, Zebruja. She had three sons, and I think the way it's listed that Abishai would be the older, Joab the second, and Asahel the third. These three men were warriors. They were soldiers. This was their career, military men. They liked battles, maybe the challenge of it, but they were involved in wounding and killing people. That was their life. Joab shared David's fortune from the time that David fled from King Saul until he was able to sit upon the throne after Saul's death. I suppose being together, they shared the common hardships and the dangers of being fugitives. The comradeship of a fugitive that bound this uncle and this nephew together, or nephews. Because David was, of course, the, nep the uncle of uh, Joab. Well, the first time that we read about Joab, <clears throat> Saul is dead. King Saul and his three older sons were killed in battle on Mount Gilboa, fighting against the Philistines. There was Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. There was one other that was survived, who survived, and that was, uh, <clears throat> what's his name? Uh, I've thought this all the way through. Uh, Anybody think of his thing? Uh, Ishbosheth, right? Okay, Ishbosheth. And so Abner, who was the captain of Israel's army, put him upon the throne of his father. <clears throat> Evidently a weak individual. He had taken him across on the east side of the Jordan River up to Mahanaim out of the reach of the Philistines and made him a king. Well, when he became king, David, by the rulers in Judah, because David was from the tribe of Judah, became their king. So in effect, we have two kings in Israel, two armies, Joab, Abishai, and Asael, and the rest of the men who were on David's side, and Abner with all of those on the northern side, northern tribes. <clears throat> in a way, they were somewhat friendly because they were all Israelites, 
But some of the men of Abner and some of the men of Joab met together at Gibeon, at the pool of Gibeon. Abner and his men were on one side of the pool, and Joab and his men were on the other side. And it was Abner who suggested, why don't we have a little tournament here? Let's select 12 men from each side and let them have some single combat. And so they thought that's a good idea. 12 men from Joab, 12 men from Abner. They got together, two, uh, 12 pairs. And I guess when they said, one, two, three, go, each man grabbed the head, probably the hair, of his opponent, and each had a sword. And they killed one another. All 24 died. And following this, they had a general combat among both forces. And Abner's forces were losing. Back when the battle was over, they had lost 360, and David's men had only lost 20. Abner is fleeing, and Asahel, the younger son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, is pursuing him. And Abner turns and he says, is that you, uh, Asahel? He says, it is. He said, well, go and fight some younger man and get his war, uh, his uh, armor. He wouldn't do it. He kept on pursuing Abner, and he stopped again. He says, I, I don't want to kill you, Asahel. And if I did, how could I face your brother Joab? Asahel continued. And so Abner just took his spear or his sword and he just killed Asahel. Now we don't want to forget this because Joab and Abishai didn't forget it. It was actually in battle. The Bible says so. And you would think that here was uh, Abner in self-defense killing this man. He didn't want to fight with him. He tried to get him to go away. But he had to fight, or he thought he did, and he killed him. And so, Ishbosheth, from this time on, is losing ground politically. David is gaining uh, more strength as more people come from the other tribes to be behind him. And so, after a quarrel between Ishbosheth and Abner, Abner says, I'm going to join hands with David. Now, he knew that God had already anointed David to be the king. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so he goes to Hebron, where David has his kingdom. For seven and a half years, he was in Hebron. And they make a deal. Abner says, I can bring all of north, the northern tribes, and you can be the king over all twelve. And so he left in peace. And just after Abner left, here comes Joab. He's been with some of his men on a foray. And as soon as he gets back to Hebron, he's told what's happened. He runs into the office of the king and talks to him like he's talking like the king himself. He says, what have you done? He says, don't you know that Abner's been here just to spy out what we're doing here? And David wouldn't listen to him because he'd already made a a satisfactory arrangement with Abner. And so Joab goes outside, doesn't tell David a thing about what he's planning on doing, sends a messenger to catch Abner, and Abner comes back to the gates of Hebron, and there Joab's waiting. And he takes him aside to speak to him quietly, the Bible says, and takes a sword and kills Abner. Abner has, you know, he doesn't suspect anything. And there he is uh, murdered. And David was very, very, very angry. In fact, he pronounces a curse 
upon Joab and his whole household rather than to have to suffer the curse because it had happened under his leadership. Let's notice we're in uh, 2 Samuel 3. Start with verse 28. And afterward, when David heard it, heard that Joab had killed Abner, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before Jehovah forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house, and let there not, this is a curse, and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth by the sword, or that lacketh bread. Then look at verse uh, 31. And David said to Joab, and to all the people that were with him, and so many times when it says the people, it's talking about the soldiers, not just people in general, men and women, but the soldiers, those that were with Joab. Rend your clothes, and gird you with sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. Now he said that to Joab. And King David followed the bier, and they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before the children of iniquity, so didst thou fall. He's speaking pretty strongly against Joab and Abishai. And all the people wept again over him. And they offered David food. He wouldn't take it, not till the sun went down. And says, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too hard for me. Jehovah will reward the wicked doer according to his wickedness. And so, even though Abishai and Joab looked upon the slaying of their son, their brother Asahel, as sort of an avenger of blood, it wasn't so. And they didn't forget. And so they killed Abner. But when we look at the whole character of Joab, we don't think it was all just due to getting revenge. Joab probably saw a competitor, a rival. David the king had made uh, an arrangement with Abner, who was the chief captain of Saul's army. In fact, had more men under him than Joab and David had on their side. And so Joab probably felt like he's going to lose his position with the king. And uh, that's what followed suit. David, of course, could have been accused, and maybe many did think that he was instigating of that, because if he could just kill Abner, Ishbosheth didn't have any power, and everybody would have to come to him. But that was not David's plan. Joab proved himself to be a very skillful general. Greatly helped to establish the kingdom of David. You remember when Joab came back and they had the period of conquest. They took all the promised land. Seven tribes were driven out mostly, not all of them. But anyway, Joshua tells us that God kept all of his promise to the fathers and they had all the land subdued to them. From the river of Egypt up to the Mediterranean Sea on the, on the left, that's on the uh, west, and to the river Euphrates and the wilderness over here. And so when David becomes a king, he restores all of that kingdom because they lost it during the period of the judges. 
And Joab had a lot to do with it. Now, it was God who gave them the victories because of David, not because of Joab. And without Joab, he could have done the same thing. But as it was, Joab did, did help David. He was loyal, loyal to him. One instance of this, he had been uh, the king in Hebron for seven and a half years. God had selected Jerusalem to be his chosen place, but they hadn't been able to uh, subdue it. The Jebusites lived there. So he said, the first man who goes up there and drives out the Jebusites will become my commander-in-chief. And Joab is the one who responded. He was the first, and so in an official way, he became the commander-in-chief for David and his army and Israel. And David moved the capital to Jerusalem. Now in the war with the Ammonites, Joab was the commander, and there are two events with this war that involved Joab. One was to prevent David's adultery with Bathsheba from becoming publicly known. Uriah was called home. David wanted him to go to his house, Bathsheba, then he could go back to the war that was engaged in with Ammon. But as you know, Uriah wouldn't go down to his wife's house. And so David had to do something else, he thought. So he sent a death warrant by Uriah to Joab. He said, Joab, put Uriah in the the forefront of the hottest battle. And then withdraw your forces so that he may be slain. Now, Joab followed the king's orders. And he did that very thing. We wonder how Joab could have done it. I mean, was his conscience still alive? Or was it just that he was such a military man? Later on, when he sent a report back to David that Uriah was dead, David said, tell this to Josiah, I mean, uh, Joab. I may be getting my names mixed up, but I hope you understand who I'm trying to say. Tell Joab not to be discouraged about this because... In war, some men are killed and some aren't. You know, just a common thing. It happens all the time. That uh, was the way David looked upon it. Well, when the capital of the Ammonites, uh, Rabbi, was almost conquered by Joab, and this was to say something good for Joab, he asked David to storm the city with his own men so that David might have the credit for the victory. Joab had done all the work, but he let David the king receive the credit for it. Well, then we have some more things happening. You remember Amnon, David's oldest son, seduced Tamar, a daughter of David. They were half-brother and half-sister. But Tamar was a full sister to Absalom. And Absalom thought he would get revenge on Amnon. But he let the time go by, waited two full years, with shearing, uh, sheep shearing time. And so he asked the king to come and all of the king's sons to his place. But David declined, but the others went, including Amnon. And then <clears throat> Absalom gave word to his servants, when I give you the signal, kill Amnon. And they did. And as a result, everybody fled and went home except Absalom. He was responsible, so he fled the country. 
He went to Geshur, where his grandfather was the king. And so he took voluntary exile because he knew that he was subject to the, the what do we call it, the, um, <clears throat> the nearest of kin, the avenger of blood, that's it. And he was over there for three years. And that's where we see Joab taking a hand in David's affairs again. When we look at <clears throat> 2 Samuel 14 and 1, we read that Joab knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. He knew the king pretty well. He knew he was preoccupied with Absalom, been gone for three years. And so Joab gets a woman, a wise woman, she's called, of Tekoa. Tells her exactly what to say. So she has an interview with King David. She says, oh, king, I'm a widow, a poor widow. I had two sons, and they were engaged in a fight out in the field. Nobody was there to separate them, and one killed the other. Now, my kinfolks want to avenge the death of that brother, and I'll be completely by myself. My husband's dead. That son's dead. Now, if they get revenge upon the other son, I'll be all alone. Well, really, that was what the law required. But David... David was the kind of fellow that he could, uh, he's very emotional. He could be persuaded and things like that. And so he told the woman, <clears throat> nobody will hurt your son. Let him come home. Well, then she said, if the king will pardon me, may I make an application? Why don't you bring your son Absalom back? And then the king said, May I ask you one question? Be sure and tell me all the truth now. Do I see the hand of Joab in all of this? And of course she had to admit, that's right. Joab told me exactly what to say. He's responsible. And so the David, David learned his lesson. He asked Joab to come in. And he sent him over to Geshur to bring Absalom back. So Absalom comes back. But he goes two more years. He had to go to his own house before he could see the king. Five years. Well, Absalom's an ambitious man. He didn't like being confined to his house, even though he was back home, you might say. And so he said, he sent for Joab. He wants him to go and bring about a full reconciliation with his father, King David. But Joab just ignored his calls. Finally, Joab, uh, excuse me, Absalom sent some of his servants to set on fire the barley fields of Joab, and that gets Joab to come. And Absalom says, would you please go to my father and see that we might be reconciled? And he did. Joab was a reconciler. He brought about the king and his son, David and Absalom, brought them together again. But when we look back, we can see that that might not have been the right thing to do. But he did what he thought was the best thing for the king, King David, because of his loyalty to him. I don't think he necessarily liked Absalom, but he liked and loved his king David. <clears throat> so they're reconciled, but now Absalom is sort of free. He can go all over the country, and here is when he begins to steal the hearts of the people. Tells them that if he were just the judge or if he were the king, well, he would uh, see that all of their causes were provided for. They wouldn't have to wait a year or so for somebody to, to judge them. And so he won the people, and he had this plan going. He gave them the signal they were all to come to him, and he was going to be the king. Well, he did that. And he sent word, and word uh, reached David what had happened, so David fled. 
took his wives and his children and the uh, Pelethites and the Carathites, his bodyguard, and they left and they went across the Jordan. Finally, they were engaged in battle. Absalom was in the battle. David sent out his men in three divisions. Joab was over one, his brother Abishai over another, and Ittai was over the third. You remember now how Absalom was riding along on his mule, and he got caught his head or his hair up in the oak tree, and the mule kept on going. There he was hanging in midair. And a soldier went to Joab and said, Absalom's up there. And Joab rebuked him for not killing him. And he said, well, didn't you hear? I mean, we all heard the king say, deal kindly for my sake with the young man Absalom, and I wasn't going to touch him. Well, after Joab rebuked him, he went to three darts and thrust them to the heart of Absalom. And then he had his armor bearers bring him down and kill him and bury him under a bunch of stones there in the forest of Ephraim. When the message came to David, he, they wouldn't let him go to the battle. He wanted to know right off, how is it with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite man who brought the message said, Would to God that all of the enemies of the king were like this young man, Absalom. He knew what that meant. And David, being very sensitive, began to wail unashamedly. He said, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would that I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And he wailed as he went up above to his room above the gate. And when the people came back from the battle because Joab had blown the whistle, uh, the trumpet, is all over. And people began to t tiptoe around because the king was so upset that his son Absalom had been killed. Now, here's where Joab speaks, I think, properly to the king. Look at 2 Samuel 19, if you want to, <clears throat> just how Joab addresses the king, his uncle. Here we go. We'll start with verse 5 and read through about verse 8, I think. <clears throat> and Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants who this day have saved thy life and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters and the lives of thy wives and the wives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest them that hate thee and hatest them that love thee. I mean, he didn't spare his words. For thou hast declared this day that princes and servants are not unto thee. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth, and speak comfortably unto the servants, for I swear by Jehovah, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry a man with thee this night, and that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that hath befallen thee from thy youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told Unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. I think that's one of the good qualities 
Both of these last events were the good qualities of Joab. He slew Absalom. Of course, David didn't want him to be slain. He should have been slain when he had Amnon slain. That was God's law. That was a purpose, keeping law and order. And so when Joab just sort of took over and did what he knew was best for David's kingdom and slew Absalom, of course, David didn't like that. And now when David reacts as he did, like a little child, well, you can imagine he, he lost his son, but a son that was rebellious, had brought about a coup d'etat, driven his father out, wanted him to be dead. He did react like that. <clears throat> and so when David returns to Jerusalem, to his palace, it's all over, almost all over. <clears throat> Joab was replaced. And you know who he was replaced by? Amasa. Now Amasa was a, a cousin of Joab. He was one of the nephews of David. He had a lot of kinfolks with him there. But Amasa became the captain or the general, the commander-in-chief of Absalom's rebellious army. And it was his army that had lost to Joab. And yet, David says, Joab, I don't want you anymore. I want Amasa to be the captain of my army. That, well, that's the response because Joab killed Absalom. Well, right after that, Sheila became a rebellious man. <clears throat> and he took the forces of Israel and said, you follow me, we'll just let David and Judah take care of themselves. And so he began to rebel. David said, Amasa, <clears throat> go to Judah and get all your men together. In three days, be back here to pursue uh, Sheba. <clears throat> well, it takes him longer than three days for some reason. And so David says to Abishai, not Joab, but to his brother Abishai, we've got to overtake Sheba because his rebellion may bring a worse result upon us than Absalom's. And so Abishai was sent along, but Joab went too. And about the time they get to Gibeon, on their way, they run into Amasa coming with his men. Now, here's Joab, been demoted. And he goes up to Amasa, and he says, How goes it, my brother? Takes, he takes his beard with his right hand to kiss him. Well, we're told that just before that, he dropped his sword on the ground. And I can, and I can imagine purposely. He reaches over and picks it up. He still has it in his hand when he takes Amasa by the beard to kiss him, and then he just drives it through him and leaves him to die, dead. And then he takes over these men that Amos had brought from Judah. And he goes and he's back in the saddle again. He's taken over from his brother Abishai. They're seeking Sheba. And they find him up in Abel, a little town. <clears throat> and they begin to uh, build a, a ramp up to the walls to tear the walls down. And there's a wise woman in the town. She calls out, is that you, is that you uh, Joab? He says, it's I. He's a well-known figure. I mean, you know, he's way up there like in the king's cabinet. And she says, well, why are you trying to destroy all of God's inheritance? Now, let me read his answer. 
if I can find where I put his answer. Okay, in chapter 20 and verse 16. Why art thou about to swallow up the inheritance of Jehovah? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so, but a man of the hill country of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, hath lifted up his hands against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto him, Joab, behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. And so she went to speak to the proper people in Abel, and they threw the head over the wall. Joab blew the trumpet, and everybody dispersed. Went back home. The very next verse, I stopped at 22. 23 says, Now Joab was over all the host of Israel. That's back where he wanted to be. Still in charge. At least for a time, Joab seems to have been restored to the king's favor. In chapter 24, toward the end of David's life, David decides he wants to number the people. Now, not a census where you find out how many uh, you know, families and boys and girls and that kind of a census like we take, but he wants to number all of the people, all of the fighting men and all the tribes from Dan to Beersheba, north to south, go to all the tribes. Joab said no. He says, that's a foolish thing to do. Again, he's talking plainly to the king. Notice what he says in verse 3 of chapter 24. And Joab said unto the king, Now, Jehovah thy God, add unto the people how many soever they may be a hundredfold. And may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? Joab knew it was wrong. David wrote at another time in Psalm 20 and verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. But by wanting to count all of these people, he's forgotten his trust in God. He wants to see how many men he has that can go to war. And Joab knew that was wrong. And so when he came back, then David's heart smote him. God sent his prophet Gad to David to say, you're going to be punished for this. And as a result, we're making the, short, the story as short as we can, 70,000 of those men lost their lives. The next chapter, which begins 1 Kings, we have David not quite on his deathbed, but he is uh, he's old. He's probably not able to carry out his administration. And his family knows about it. Adonijah, who is the oldest son now, wants to be the king. And so he uh, tries to enroll the support of different ones, and Joab gets behind Adonijah. Abiathar, one of the high priests, goes with him as well. 